0: Good morning. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study today. We pray that you will be with us, that our hearts will be drawn together in a unity of love, and that our minds will know the truth about your character. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing the last lesson in our quarterly evangelism and witnessing, and the title this week is "A Perpetual Ministry." A perpetual ministry. If someone would read the memory text for us, which is Luke 13:18 and 19. Luke 13, 18, and 19, please.
1: Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it with? It is like a man takes a mustard seed and plants it in his field. The plant grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches.
0: And as you hear this uh, lesson and this, this scripture, what does this parable tell you about the kingdom of God? You notice it starts out, "So what? how should I compare the kingdom, God's kingdom? And then he gives the example of a mustard seed. So as you look at this parable of the mustard seed, what do you draw from from it to inform you about the kingdom of God? It grows. It grows.
2: It fills up.
0: It fills up. It fills up your life. Oh, I like that. It fills your life up. I like that. Russell?
3: I like that. I don't know if struggle is the right word, but Christ is struggling to, to communicate to his listeners because he's he knows what the kingdom of God is like. He knows it better than anyone, and he's trying to he's trying to give an example that the hearers and those down through the ages are going to uh, uh, identify with. Yeah, I, I he talked for for months and years and eternity to try to tell people what the kingdom of God was like, and, and still not communicated it to there to, to to break through the darkness that they were we we are in.
0: Yeah, and I like the way that you pointed out how Christ Himself searched for examples and metaphors and parables and ways to try to get through because he really couldn't speak plainly to them. He couldn't just tell them the way it was because it it wouldn't register. It would be similar. Imagine if you went back to 2,000 years ago and tried to explain a microwave oven or tried to explain a cell phone or a computer to people 2,000 years ago or a uh, how how about a, um, a space shuttle? Well, if you use the language, the you know, well, we had some astronauts go up in a space shuttle, and those people back then would go, "Huh? What?" It wouldn't register at all. So you might say, "Well, it was a cherry to fire." You see, something like this. Well, cherry to fire, what's that? I mean, you're struggling to try to communicate concepts, and I appreciate that. So he uses a metaphor, a parable. This is out of the book Christ Object Lessons, referring specifically to this parable. This is page 77. It says, The germ in the seed grows by the unfolding of the life principle which God has implanted. It, its development depends on no human power. So it is with the kingdom of Christ. It is a new creation. It's principles of development are the opposite of those that rule the kingdoms of the world. Earthly governments prevail by physical force. They maintain their dominion by war, By the founder, but the founder of the new kingdom is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit represents worldly kingdoms under the symbol of fierce beasts of prey, but Christ is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. In his plan of government, there is no employment of brute force to compel the conscience. The Jews looked for the kingdom of God to be established in the same way as the kingdoms of the world. To promote righteousness, they resorted to external measures. They devised methods and plans. But Christ implants a principle. By implanting truth and righteousness, he counterworks error and sin. Did you hear this? Now notice, the the, the metaphor of the seed, there's a, there's a life principle working there. Well, will force... Will human willpower, will will coercive pressure, cause that thing to grow more? No. Oh, more likely to stunt it. Yes, more likely to stunt it. Do you notice the contrasting principles here? Well, it's notice it said there's a principle of life which God has implanted. What is the principle of life? The, the principle of love. The principle of giving. Greater love is no man than he give his life for a friend. God's character is the basis upon which life is built to operate, and his character is the character of love. Um, What are the methods of the world, and how would you describe those in contrast to the methods of God's kingdom? Outside in. Outside in. Outside, in other words, working outside the person to try to force something into the person?
1: Right, and the behavior first.
0: Behavior first. Oh, I like this. Um, Any examples? How, How does it work? What can you get from outside pressure? What can you get? Conformity. Conformity. What can you not get from outside pressure? Loyalty. Oh, I like that. Loyalty. Yeah. You can't get loyalty from outside pressure, can you? Sure. Loyalty comes from an inner heart motive, doesn't it? Yeah. You can't get... Well, you can get character from outside pressure, but what kind of character?
1: Rebellion.
0: Ah, rebellious character. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So are you noticing that the methods that that, that we employ do, do result in different outcomes, don't they? Things turn out differently depending on whether you're using a principle of love and truth, whether you're using a principle of coercion and pressure. So what it says, uh, what is God see, my question, what is God seeking to do in order to create mankind anew? God wants to create mankind anew. What's he seeking to do? Yes. I'd like to go back to your last statement. Yes.
4: Are, are, are you saying then that all outside pressure
0: then is inappropriate? I guess it does depend on the circumstance. Give me an example, because I can think of some examples. depends on what you're trying to achieve by outside pressure. Let me put it that way. Okay. Outside pressure to achieve love in the heart. No. Yeah. I- I'll go with you on that. Outside pressure to achieve maturity of character.
4: <clears throat> well, I was just thinking of a boy who uh, looked normal at first and uh, pretty soon he started acting a little strange and pretty soon he's, he's showing signs what I guess we would call today of autism. And he's just sitting alone, rocking for long periods of time, not interacting with the family anymore. So they took the boy to a specialist who said, well, he's got to be rewired. And so they put him on this regimen where they, eight hours a day, they worked with this child they would lay him on a table and make him go through crawling motions forcing him i mean one person would take the head and keep twisting it one would have an arm another arm leg and they'd make him go through this and he'd cry and scream and they just they just do it to him then they'd finally take him to where they would take him to a gym and put knee pads on him and make him crawl every line and his family had to do it with him and and this went on for weeks and months and uh Finally, the 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 mother, she's on her way to the gym and she just all has a nervous breakdown and she begins to cry and she turns around and says, I can't take this anymore. I'm going home. And her other son said, we have to do it for him. So she turns around, they go back to the gym and they go through this. Well, now the child's normal because he's been rewired. Or disciplined or whatever you want to call it, but it was purely outside pressure. It wasn't something the child would have chosen. It wasn't something the child would have done.
0: So outside pressure can get, it can get results. What kind of results can it get? Uh, conformity. conformity.
4: Well, I'm not sure if if uh, that kind of conformity is a bad thing.
0: It depends on what you're trying to achieve.
4: Well, if you'd rather have your child sit in a corner and be autistic, that's fine.
0: Um, you're suggesting that the child you said you said you're suggesting the child is actually normal now.
4: <clears throat> he socializes with the family, he talks with the family, he plays with the family. He, he's not isolating himself.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So I was just asking the question.
0: Yes. Is, is that also ultimately- so So what was the what was the outside pressure trying to achieve? It wasn't trying to achieve a conversion of heart. Wasn't trying to achieve love in the heart. It was trying to overcome a, a, a deficit that the child already had. It would be no different than any type of any other external physical therapy that we might pressure people into. We can pressure people into physical therapy for their muscles and joints, and they will get stronger, but it doesn't change the heart character. So the child at some point had to come to some awareness and an internal either appreciation for, hey, thanks for doing this for me, or a rejection of, hey, I resent you doing this to me, but that internal interpretation can't be given by external pressure.
4: I'll agree with that.
0: And so what I'm suggesting that Christ wants from us, he can't get from inter- external pressure, because what he's wanting is he's wanting a, our trust, he's wanting our love, he's wanting our understanding, and while he could pressure us Behaviorally, that could result in certain changes in us, both physiologically and neurologically, for sure. What he can't get by doing that is the transformation of the heart from a from a distrusting to a trusting heart.
4: If that's your focal point, totally agree with what you're saying. I was just questioning whether you're saying outside pressure is always bad
0: it, for spiritual conversion. Yes.
4: Okay. So there's a focal point.
0: Fine. Yeah. Yes. Um, for spiritual conversion, which is what we are talking about here. Um, and how we ministered how about, so not just for conversion, for ministry. If we go to evangelize, and for ministry, I would suggest outside pressure is bad. Sure. Yeah, yes. Is
1: there not a possibility with this example there of a bridging capability? In other words, yes, by the pressure, you get him associated with the family, and then through this association, love develops in his heart more to the family.
0: This is exactly what cults would say. Cults would use the outside pressure to make you conform at first and eventually treat you with a certain internal structural to the organization, love and acceptance and affirmation and praise to the point that you're converted to love and feel accepted in that group. But you're really being brainwashed. So I don't think there's any place for external conformity in the conversion of a heart. If you use external pressure to conform a heart, even if they come to the point they feel love and they feel accepted, I'm going to suggest to you that what's happened is individuality is being eroded and destroyed. It's not free. It's coercive. And they're doing it in order to maintain a social acceptance.
4: If you're talking about the heart and a heart conversion, that, that's a focal point there. And as long as you're on that focal point, I totally agree with you.
2: Yes. What would you say that God uses external pressure on the Israelites when he allowed them to be taken away by the Babylonians and taken over and so on and so forth, always saying, and then they will know that I am the Lord. You know, I did this and this, but still, they didn't obey. Where did the
0: external pressure come? From where? What was its source?
2: Well, I mean, he is taking credit for it. I brought them to the, to you
0: no, to teach you. No, no. The writers who wrote the Bible gave him credit for it. Yeah. There's a the big difference. He, the writers who wrote the Bible attributed these things to, to God in their mindset. And and if you read the the Old Testament scriptures, in there all along, it says over and over, they will know why they failed in this situation. Because the Lord their God abandoned them. Because the Lord their God let them go. Because the Lord their God did not protect them. Why? Because they insisted on rebellion over and over again. And this is no different than a child growing up. Is 18 years of age. You've raised them right. And they insist to go into their wild living and start smoking or whatever it is they're going to do. And what are you going to do with that? You're going to... Let them reap the consequences of what they've chosen. And then one day they're going to know that at some point this was not the pathway of health and life. And this is what's being demonstrated in the Old Testament. Um, There are times when God did use his power to discipline, but discipline is also not converting. It's trying to, to help an ignorant childlike mind understand there are consequences to behavior until the mind can grow up and recognize those consequences. So a loving parent putting consequences on a child for not brushing their teeth Eventually those consequences that are imposed by the parent as stand-in consequences are removed as the child is to have an awareness that, hey, the consequence for not brushing my teeth isn't mommy, is that mommy's gonna spank me. The consequence is my teeth are gonna rot. And that, and that spanking stands in, in, in the place of the rotting teeth for an immature mind that can't understand the true consequences. And it's a loving intervention. So God will discipline, but those disciplines are not the same thing as um, trying to conform and control behavior. Trying to teach and educate. See, discipline comes from the root word "disciple," meaning to educate and teach. Where punishment comes from the root "punitive," to exact vengeance upon. And God is a, is a disciplining, loving God, a teaching God, but He's not a punitive, uh, wrathful God. In the in the sense.
2: External pressure,
0: well, the external pressure. Yes, there is external pressure for you not to jump off a 300-story uh, building. There is external pressure for you not to do that. But it's not coming from God. Unless we say, well, God made the law of gravity, so it's coming from God to make the law of gravity. Sure, you can do that. But it's not God standing there saying, I'm going to send an angel to break your legs when you hit the ground. That kind of pressure doesn't exist from God. But the reality of his universe and the way it runs, um, there's pressure for you not to put a plastic bag over your head. External pressure for you not to do that um, and and tie that bag off. Yes, way in the back.
5: Eugene Kershaw says that wasn't outside pressure. God just gave them up.
0: That's exactly right. With the outside, there was outside pressure, but the pressure was from the consequence of their own choices and the Babylonians and or the scorpions and the snakes or whatever else God was holding at bay for them. But it was from their own consequence, not imposed by God saying do it or else, which is a different dynamic. Um, continuing on in, in the Christ Object Lessons quote in the very next, pa- very next paragraph, it says, Not only is the growth in Christ's kingdom illustrated by the parable the mustard seed, but in every stage of its growth, the experience represents the par- of the parable is repeated. For his church, in every generation, God has a special truth and a special work. And I find this very fascinating, this, this line of thought. The truth that is hid from the worldly wise and prudent is revealed to the childlike and humble. It calls for self-sacrifice. In, it has battles to fight and victories to win. At the outset, its advocates are few. By the great men and the, of the world and the world-conforming church, they are opposed and despised. John the Baptist, see John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, standing alone to rebuke the pride and formalism of the Jewish nation. See the first bearers of the gospel to Europe, how obscure, how hopeless seemed the mission of Paul and Silas, the two tent makers, as they, uh, as they with their companions took ship from Troas to Philippi. See Paul, the aged and change preaching Christ to the stronghold of the Caesars. See the little communities of slaves and peasants in conflict with the heathenism of imperial Rome. See Martin Luther withstanding the mighty church, which is the masterpiece of the world, world's wisdom. Notice that the mighty church, the masterpiece of the world's wisdom. Think through what that masterpiece is for a moment. I love that description, world's wisdom. See him holding fast uh, God's word against emperor and pope, declaring, here I take my stand. I can do no other. Uh, God be my help. See John Wesley preaching Christ and his righteousness in the midst of formalism, centralism, and infidelity. And this next section, just pay attention to this the great leaders of religious thought in this generation sound the praises and build the monuments of those who planted the seeds of truth centuries ago do not many turn from this work to trample down the growth springing from the same seed today the old cry is repeated we know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow Christ in the messenger he sends we know not where he is from As in the early ages, the special truths for this time are found not with the ecclesiastical authorities, but with men and women who are not too learned and too wise to believe the word of God. Wow, I read that parable. Did you get that much out of this parable? I was like, I didn't get that much out of this parable. Wow, but you know something, there's a lot of truth in this. What do you think about this, this insight into this parable? Do you agree with it? Truth is unfolding. There's truth regeneration. That all too often, as the, as the religious leaders in Christ's day stood and, and proclaimed their loyalty to Moses but denied Christ who stood before them, that church leaders will claim their loyalty to, to, to theologians of hundreds of years ago but deny the truth as it unfolds today. Should we be discouraged if, if ecclesiastical authorities don't value what we're doing? and instead accuse us of contradicting 500 years of Christian thought? What did they accuse Christ of? Yeah. Are we presenting a message consistent with God's kingdom of love as represented in the mustard seed, or are we acting like those who reject the advancing truth and are trampling it down? How are are we doing? I hope and pray that we are embracing the advancing truth and presenting and nurturing the truth. Sunday's lesson, first sentence says... It must be emphasized, again, that witnessing and evangelism must continue as long as there are people who need salvation. And I'd like to break that into two, witnessing and evangelism. Separate those two and then answer the question, uh, suggestion that they have made here. And the first is, what about witnessing and the idea that it must continue for as long as people need salvation? And my question when I read that and put that out there is, is it long enough?
6: Yeah, but what are we going to do with heaven?
0: Thank you. Yep. I, I
2: want to hear everybody's story. <laughs>
0: yes. Will there be a need for witnessing in heaven? Yes. What will that need be? Why will we be witnessing in heaven?
2: Tell them about Jesus in our lives—a form of our praising God and glorifying
0: Him. So praise and glory. Yes. It is the method
4: that keeps us living in the state of repentance.
0: Yes, I like that too. Yes.
4: It's
2: for the benefit of the rest
4: of the universe.
0: Okay, well, how does it benefit them? They don't need conversion. They don't need salvation. What do they need?
2: They have.
0: Understanding what else? Well, insight into what happened. Insight into what happened. Yes.
3: We're the only species in the universe that has had our character transformed right. by the loving grace of God as, as
0: revealed through Jesus of Nazareth. So, what do we witness to? Healing oh and, and that healing gets credited to God. who gets the credit God. God yes, Wendell
1: often in as the sentence witnessing is described as a verb it's often more of a noun or an adjective it's it's who we are it 's not something we do.
0: I like where you 're going at that very much
1: you know yes, we witness by by what we do, but is truly who we are.
0: Do you, do you remember the uh, passage in Revelation in several places it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, that the 144,000 will sing a song of their experience? What, what is that r- suggesting that we'll be doing? And some of you, I know, are, are going to be surprised you're going to actually be singing in heaven. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but we'll be singing our experience, and only, the, only you can sing the song of your experience. And there's a statement in Revelation that part of that experience is in their mouth, this is in Revelation, says, was found no guile and they stand before God without fault. You remember this passage in Revelation? Okay. Why are they without fault before God?
2: Because their heart changed.
0: Because they've never sinned in their life. No. 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 They've been healed. Ah, they've been healed. So it's very much like a patient standing before a doctor once that sickness is gone. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without proper health care, cancer cannot go into remission, remission, the cancer cells remit back to their healthy original precancerous state without the shedding of Christ's blood our the sinfulness in our heart won't remit our characters will not remit or transform back to God's original design and so in heaven, we stand before God without fault because of his work in our lives, our characters have been remitted back to his original design, the way he, he built Adam and Eve to be through what Jesus Christ has done for us Um. Does, and does that song, as we sing about this experience of being transformed by by the work of Christ in our life, does does this give witness to anything? Does it give witness to something about God and His methods, His characters, His grace, His patience, His love, His forgiveness, His mercy? Do do, do our our life just being there give witness to God about something?
6: We a God, you have a part of His body as individual members, but we're going to be a body of Christ, Christ the Head, and us as the individual members, perfectly fitted in that beautiful structure, that beautiful Zion that God is building. And He is building that Zion with the precious stones that he is working on right now by giving us his righteousness, his holiness, his patience, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing that by implanting the Holy Spirit in us and by changing us by his word.
0: I really like what you just said. And do you know how radical what you just said is from normal Christianity? And I agree with you completely. That's exactly what he's doing. He's transforming, healing us, the living stones that the Scripture talks about. But that is not traditional, that we are actually being fitted, transformed, healed, renewed, rebuilt, prepared for. What's traditional is we're covered over. That's traditional. Payments made. Forgiveness stamped in books somewhere in, a, in, a, in an investigative judgment somewhere going on in heaven. Well, wow, I like what you're what you're saying very much. This is out of Tsar page twenty six, it says, Of his people God says, They shall be as the stones of crown, lifted up as an ensign upon the land. For how great is the goodness and how how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty Zachariah nine sixteen. The exaltation of the redeemed will be an eternal testimony to God's mercy. Eternal testimony. That's another word for testimony. Wouldn't that be witness? Yeah. Eternal testimony to God's mercy. In the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches, riches of his grace and the, his kingdom toward us through Christ Jesus, to the intent that unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made known the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, of course, Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, which was being quoted there. Notice, though, the witness is for the principalities and heavenly places. They're going to learn something. Let me read this second paragraph, and then it'll come to you, Russell. It says, through Christ's redeeming work, the government of God stands justified. The Omnipotent One is made known as the God of Love. Wow, made known as the God? You mean he wasn't already known as the God of Love? Was there question about his character that was has been raised somewhere? It would be known as the God of Love. Satan's charges are refuted and his character unveiled. Rebellion can never again arise. Sin can never again enter the universe. Through eternal ages, all are secure from apostasy. By love, self-sacrifice, the inhabitants of earth and heaven are bound to the Creator in bonds of indissoluble union. Question: Why will sin never rise again? Nobody's
1: listening to
0: Satan. Well, Satan won't be there, but nobody's listening to Satan. She says, "Yes,
4: we don't want it." No, know.
0: Will our witness have anything to do in preventing sin from rising again? Will we kind of be an inoculation in the minds of the rest of the intelligent beings as we tell our stories, as we witness to what life was like, as we witness to how Christ What Christ did for us and the transformation that we've experienced. Will we uh, exonerate and reveal the truth about God's character and inoculate the universe from any doubt about his goodness and love? Can that be achieved by threat? Love me or I'll burn you in hell. You can't achieve that kind of security, that kind of loyalty, that kind of of, um, love with coercive external pressure. Russell, you wanted to say something.
3: Well, I was thinking of an interesting parallel between what the young lady said about you'd be molded and shaped here to be fitted into God's temple. It, and of the, When Solomon's temple was built, the, the stones were molded and, and cut and shaped in the quarry, and then they were fitted together in the temple. There was no sound of any hammer or chisel or, or workman. And just like that temple stood as a witness to the to the craftsmen that worked on it, so will we be witness to craftsman has worked
0: on us. And and where's the quarry? Here. Here's the quarry where we're being fitted for the heavenly temple. And and this is why we get pounded on a little bit, right? And, And, of course, what's the same revelation about the redeemed? You will be a pillar in the temple of your God, and never will you leave it. Oh, you mean I'm going to be trapped in a building through all eternity? Well, if you take a traditional view of how it's presented... The heavenly sanctuary is a little, is a, is a structure in heaven where Christ is currently ministering His blood before the Father. That's how it's typically presented. It's not. The heavenly sanctuary is constructed out of living beings. We are building blocks in that temple, and we will be fitted together in the temple for the Spirit. You get a little vision of that, in my view, in the book of Job, when all the intelligent beings came together for this meeting, the council in heaven. I think it's a vision of of the heavenly temple. Yes.
5: As far as sin not ever coming up again, if any questions ever arise, all they have to do is look at the evidence.
0: There you go. Did everybody hear what Margaret said? Yeah, and and that evidence is, there's two threads of evidence in heaven. Our witness witness and, of course, Jesus. Jesus, remember the scars on his hands and feet? And they say in Zechariah, where'd you get those? Some people are going to go up to him and say, hey, where'd those come from? I got those at the house of my friends. Yes, way in the back, if you'll walk back there, way in the back. Um, I got those at the house of my friends, which implies, of course, there'll be people in heaven who don't know the story of Jesus. That's why they're asking. You won't ask Jesus where he got those marks, will you? Hey, where'd you get those marks? You already know. You see, the people asking don't know. Yes,
5: Eugene Kershaw from Virginia asked, can it be that someone decides to rebel? God will be justified to wipe him out since we will all know what's true, who is true, because we will still have our free will.
0: And what would you say if you went to a doctor and you were suffering from COPD, bad lung disease from two-pack-a-day smoking, and you refused to quit smoking? Would it be okay, after the doctor educates you on the health principles of proper lung function and the damaging effects of cigarettes, that if you refuse, that the doctor wipe you out. That the doctor take a gun and kill you because you won't obey the healthy principles, the law of respiration that good life is built to run upon. Is there a need for the doctor to do that, or will your continued violation of the laws of health be self-terminating? You see, there is no need for God to use his power to wipe out the wicked because uh, deviation from God's law is incompatible with life as God built it. The reason any of us are alive right now, it says in Romans chapter 3, using the language of punishment, God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He has suspended the consequences. He's He's holding the devastation that comes from sin at bay. So, giving each of us the opportunity to, to make a choice to be reconciled and restored into his design where we can live in his presence or to choose to harden our hearts such that his presence is a, is a nightmare for us and we run and beg for the mountains to hide us from him. But it's the condition of our own character that ultimately determines whether we love him when we see him or we are tormented when we see him. Russell, yes?
3: The listener may have been talking about the choice to rebel in heaven.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't even think of that.
3: Choice to, re- you know, someone choose to rebel in heaven.
0: I would suggest. The
3: whole point is that we won't.
0: Well, we won't. No, I, for, first off, we won't because everybody's so settled. It would be, it would be uh, very similar to a a rational, sane person choosing to, you know, jump off a building without a parachute. I mean, why? No, nobody would choose to do that in, in a rational, sane mind. Um, but. I would suggest the same principle holds true. If a person actually did that in the post-New Earth, then God would not need to go through the demonstration again. He could simply let them go. If you've read it, and I think it's in the book, I think it's in the early part of Desire of Ages, in the first chapter, I think, where Ellen White says that um, it, it, when the rebellion began in heaven, God could as easily have destroyed Lucifer and his sympathizers as a, as a man cast a pebble to the ground. But he didn't, because the universe, having never seen sin and understood what it does, would have misconstrued God's character and served him out of fear. They would, have, they would have construed that God was executing and using his power to kill, rather than understanding that death is a result of deviation from God's design. That misunderstanding will never occur again. So if someone were in the new heaven new earth to exercise their freedom, to rebel... God could simply let them have their choice at that point. He wouldn't have to suspend consequences and go through this whole demonstration again. No. We
4: have the assurance that it won't because we can been yeah. there?
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. We, yeah, we, we've all got the t-shirt, that's right. Patriarchs and prophets, why was sin permitted? Thank you. Patriarchs and prophets, why was sin permitted? Thank you. Um, and then what about the issue, we talked about witnessing, then what about evangelism? Um... <clears throat> Is there a time? Yeah. Is there a time when evangelism will no longer be needed? There you go. When people are so settled either into the truth that they cannot be moved, or into the lie that they cannot be moved, there is a time when evangelism is no longer needed. We're fortunately not at that time yet. Evangelism is needed now. How will we know? I'm not sure that we necessarily will know. We may know, but we may not know. Hand over here. Yeah. Oh, right, right there. Go ahead. Uh,
2: I wanted you to clarify. My heart has changed in terms of desiring to be like the Lord. And um, like Paul says, uh, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm still, you know, every day see tons of selfishness in my heart. And I want to be healed, and I um, long to be healed, and I pray for healing but um, my righteousness is still as filthy rags. So when does that complete transformation take place? Does it take place when Jesus returns, or will we actually be a people that have clean hearts and pure minds completely by the time he gets here? Am I focusing on on behavior rather than on desire? Or I, wish See, I,
0: I think we often confuse heart for neural circuitry, um, heart for habit patterns, heart for carnal nature. They're not the same. You, you know, you said I still have selfishness in my heart. I, I would suggest no, we don't. Those who are converted have a. See, the, the, here's the difference the converted heart longs to be like Christ. But that converted heart is still in a physiology that is subject to temptation by the carnal nature and has neural circuit patterns of old habits and we are preconditioned to respond in certain ways, reflexively, without even thinking. And so we find ourselves doing things that our heart doesn't even want us to do at times. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. The converted heart, when that stumbling happens, is grief-stricken. Oh, I'm so sick of this. I hate being this way. Uh, Lord, deliver me. That heart is pure. Okay. The impure heart, the unconverted heart, when they do these things, justify them. Hey, it wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. I had every right to do it. I didn't do anything wrong. And so I think what happens is man looks on the outward appearance, Lord looks on the heart. And the outward appearance is often the behaviors that we do where the heart is the motive by which we want to live. And as we um, surrender our hearts and and selves to Christ the spirit comes in and there is a transforming process and over the course of time neural circuits actually change over the course of time but until glorification until glorification we will not be free from temptation of the carnal nature we will still be subject to those temptations yes
2: Jesus recognized that struggle as well thus the, the prayer in the garden
0: exactly yes he had that struggle but his heart was pure
2: that's right but he recognized his his um possibility of, of failure in in his humanness. But if we have that seed in our heart, it grows and grows.
0: Yes right.
6: Crowds out those
0: and the temptations do become weaker. Yes, they do. And the neural circuit on a neural circuit level, brain changes and so the, the unhealthy patterns will actually degrade on a structural level within the brain. And the healthy neural circuits grow stronger on a structural level. We'll go through a little bit of that this afternoon. You'll find it I think interesting. Yes.
1: There's two issues here. One is some of us are tempted by Satan because of our, our carnal nature. Okay. Whereas Christ, when he said, the evil one is coming, but he has nothing within me. There's nothing within me that is attracted to that. Okay. But he had a human nature in, that, in physical weakness, and that he had to battle with just like we do.
0: Just physical weakness, or it says in, in uh, Hebrews, he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. Yes? No? Does it say that? Every way, just like we... And it says in James chapter 1, no one should say God tempts, because God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one of us are tempted when we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. Now, are both of those true? If we get tempted, tempted internal to, with our own desires, did Christ have internal human desire? Well, look at Gethsemane. Did he have human emotion that that, that caused anguish and tempted him to act in self-interest? Not that he took that temptation, but did he feel the temptation is the point? I think he did. I think the evidence is that, yes, he was the father. If it would be possible, let this cup pass from me. Uh, what's, he, what's he anguishing over? He doesn't want to die. He's wanting to survive. But every, but, but every time the temptation comes, he chooses to overcome it. So the difference is Christ was repulsed in his heart by sin. Our hearts actually can be attracted to certain sin. But he was still capable of, on an emotional level, I think, being tempted with self-centeredness. Would you say that's a fair balance? That's a fair balance. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes.
6: I like what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is not longer I. I will just add in apprentices, I, old carnal Paul who lives. But Christ lives in me, a new, new creation, new Paul. And the life which I now, new Paul, live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me, new Paul. I think that Paul was talking here about, um, as you can see in Romans, like Romans 7, he, he talks about this internal struggle. He does what he doesn't want to do, but... You know, he knows he's not doing things that he should do. And in Romans 8, he said that a carnal nature is the enmity against God. There is, you know, they are the biggest enemies. But then Galatians 2.20, to me at least, it's a very comforting verse. Because it tells me that Paul reached the point in his walk with Christ when there was no carnality and there was only Christ living in him.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that Paul's saying that he never 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 experienced temptation anymore. What I think Paul's saying is that he operates now in a sense of trust. See, I live by faith in the One. Faith, in other words, faith is trust. I'm not worried about protecting myself, watching out for my own interests anymore, knowing where my next meal's coming from, whether the ship is going to crash and I'm going to survive or I'm not going to survive, whether the snake bites me and I'll survive or not survive, whether I'll survive this beating or be beheaded. I'm not worried My outcome. I trust my outcome with Christ. He's got my. I'm in His hands, and I trust Him. That's what I think he's saying in Galatians. So he's not interested in operating from a motive of self-protection anymore. Watch out for me. How can I calculate, plan, promote my own agenda and my own ends? Um, so, uh, but that doesn't mean he was beyond temptation. I don't think he was. He was
6: beyond temptation. I'm just saying that in his, in his growth with Christ, that he, he realized that carnality he had, his own ideas, his own motives, his own way of thinking, is really like filthy rugs. And he decided, well, I don't want a dad. I want just Christ and Christ crucified.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. The I agree Christians, with
6: you. Little children, I pray for you. I want this Christ to be formed in you. You know, whichever way the Holy Spirit does that, you know. But uh, I think that there was a lot of Christ in him.
0: It says in the uh, second paragraph um, in Sunday's lesson, um, it's got a little formula here. It says, it seems that Jesus, following the simple formula following a simple formula. I was speaking at the woman at the well. Uh, spoke to the woman of Samaria. He arrested her attention. Give me a drink. He secured her interest. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Uh, he created a desire. Sir, give me this water. He brought to conviction. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And uh, actions followed that she went and told everybody about it. I thought about this formula. And I wondered, um, how can we... Let's, let's just go down the list. How can we arrest people's attention? First step. Get their attention. Super Bowl ads? Billboards talking about the beast, uh, mark of the beast for worshiping on certain days? Um, protesting abortions and homosexuals? News releases that God is punishing sin every time a natural disaster strikes?
7: Living a Christ-like
0: life? Living a Christ-like life which would look like?
2: Unselfish?
0: Love and kind of like Gandhi. Uh, Wait. Oh, he was Hindu. Well, good. The goodness of God leads to uh, repentance. Uh, Romans 2.4. 4.
4: He took an interest
0: in them. He took an interest in them. So I'm seriously, practically, where we live today, what can we do? You look at the world. I sit sometimes, just watch people walk by. What can we do to get their attention? Yes. Yes.
7: This is an invitation. He's asked this person to do something for him.
0: Ah, So he got her attention by asking for help.
7: So he took a step down, you might say.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: He one-downed himself.
0: But, but his asking for help in the context went against social norms. Mm-hmm. He broke the convention, is what he did.
7: He was choosing to cross cultural barriers.
0: Well, there you go. He broke the cultural barrier. Who broke the cultural norm? He is a Jew asking a Samaritan for something. They wouldn't even speak to Samaritan, so he broke the convention, and, and people noticed. Whoa! What's that? What's going on? It's like uh, when when I was in high school, they had this experiment for seniors to do, where a guy would dress up in a tux and a girl would dress up in in a bathrobe, house shoes, and curlers, and they go to the mall together. <laughs> And they got attention! It broke convention. It was unconventional to do that, to go after us that way. Okay, People stopped and noticed. I'm not suggesting we should go to the mall like that to present the gospel, but there are there conventions we can break? Talk to people in elevators. Talk
6: to people in elevators. <laughs> yeah. Break the convention. yeah. It sure does.
0: <laughs> Other thoughts over here. I saw a hand. I was
7: just going to say, I think Ministry of Healing says to be concerned, to mingle with people, and then bid them follow me.
0: Absolutely, always being showing that loving, compassion ministry. Um, the next one was how how do we secure their interest? Get their attention, secure interest. Do we actually have anything that's interesting to share? The truth about God. Yes, we do. Well, I think we do. I think we have something incredibly interesting to share. Can you present in a way that grabs their interest? W- what are the things we have that are interesting? How about the truth about God? I was The great controversy? How about the why man is in the situation man is in? Or the beasts? How about that? That's typical, isn't it? Hey, it, those beasts are interesting.
4: <laughs> there's there's a fellow I know. He was raised Catholic uh, Croatian background. And uh, he marries a backslidden Adventist lady. And uh, of course, she's backslidden, so whatever. Well, then somebody on her side of the family gives him a 3 ABN dish. And one of the first programs he turns onto is the Mark of the Beast. And he's in shock. He's in absolute shock. And he says, This is truth. And he rushes to tell all of his family, knowing that they're going to be excited to hear this this news that they've been deceived. Well, he wasn't received very warmly. (laughs) But my point is, is, is the method of sharing the truth that God reveals about that problematic? And it's only problematic to where you are as far as reception. Because he was thrilled to hear it. He brought his wife back into the church. And they're actively serving now. Because he learned truth that he didn't know, but his heart loved the truth.
0: Um, along those lines, it talks about um, do we actually offer anything that people desire? And um, do, do, does the gospel we present provide them with with something that meets a genuine need of their heart? Or are we like what Christ told the Jews in his day, that when we make a convert, we make them twice the son of hell? So they're excited and more and more enslaved into the distortions about God. Yeah. Russell?
3: I think one of the best things that we have to offer is, and just going back to that Christ Object Lessons quote, is a difference between... Our concept of the law of God and the difference between the concept of the masterpiece of, of mankind's wisdom is the law of God.
0: I agree with you so so profoundly, yes. Yes, right here.
7: In the lesson where it says, he secured her interest, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? We're going back to crossing the cultural barrier. And she identifies him with that sect or us, we would be identified as a Christian or as an Adventist. And that person is looking at us saying, wait a minute, you've crossed a cultural barrier with me and you're asking me for something to help you? That right there is a way of getting someone's interest because only someone who has a heart of caring about someone else or treating them on the same level rather than judging them or saying that they're not one of you're saying hey I'm equal or less than you and you are important and what you have to give interests me and that is that shows a heart that is different even though we might be stigmatized as that sect of something so it's a a shock
0: Exactly, exactly. It's
7: It's our character coming
0: through. No, well said, well said. Um, I was thinking about the things that undermine or decrease the desire of people to hear the gospel message. What is it that gets in the way? And I came up with some ideas. I was thinking, first, preconceived ideas. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, doesn't work. How many people believe they already know the gospel, heard it, been there, done that, didn't work, move on, something else? So this is a big barrier that we have to get over. Hey, and of course, one of the ways is tell me about the God you don't believe in. Tell me the gospel that you've heard. Tell me what you've been taught. And, and then when they do, let them tell good, I don't believe in that either. I'm glad you, you're, you're so wise for rejecting that. And then that can often stimulate interest. Really? Huh. I've always been condemned for rejecting that before. So this breaks convention, and if, especially if they know you're a Christian and you affirm them for rejecting Christ because the Christ they've heard needs to be rejected. Uh, uh, What, Wendell?
1: This five-step formula he used in this instance, but you don't see him using this five-step formula every time he had uh, the message of good news to give to someone
0: else. Thank you so much. Christ was very versatile, wasn't he? The great teacher used all different methods. And I think this is the point. As a doctor, do you use the same method with every patient, the same intervention, the same treatment for every patient, or to use different treatments depending on the need of the patient. And Christ used different approaches uh, for, depending on the need of the patient. As a psychiatrist, one of my professors told us uh, metaphorically that you approach patients like a golfer approaches a golf ball. You play the ball where it lies. You don't get to move the ball to an easy place that's easy for you to deal with. If the ball is in a sand trap, you've got to play it out of the sand. If it's in the rough, you've got to play it out of the rough. it's two inches from the the cup, you can put it in real easy. But not every patient comes with the same problem. You've got to deal with them where they are with their mindset, their biases, their circumstances, their issues. And I think that's what you do see when you look at Christ's life for three and a half years. He dealt with people in lots of different ways because they came with different issues and biases. Yes.
7: One of the things I appreciate so much about the Heavenly Father, though, is that we don't have to strategize about 45 ways to win converts. When you stay so connected and you're coming to a situation where you're encountering, you can pray. Heavenly Father, please give me wisdom and and words or or, uh, the way to approach. And he will give you wisdom at that time. The Holy Spirit
2: will let you know then what to be able to say.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. How many have experienced that very thing? Good for you. Yeah, absolutely, no, no question. So preconceived ideas do get in the way. Um, that doesn't mean we don't prepare, though, does it? Yeah. Okay. Um, dislike for the gospel that they've heard. So it's kind of with the preconceived ideas. Business of life. Busyness of life. Just no time. They're just they're just caught up. They got bills. They got they're working seven days a week. They got kids in school. They got just too busy to take time to, to hear. And of course, that's part of the parable. Of the sower. The, the busyness of life comes up and chokes it out. Gospel um, they have heard isn't relevant to their lives. That's insurance for the next life. Right now I've got problems to deal with, and, and that's really just pie in the sky, covering my basis for the hereafter, uh, but it doesn't really bring anything real to me today. It's, so what? I go down and get baptized, confess my sins, get everything confessed so I can live forever. How does that help me deal with the problems I've got now? No reality to their life today. Um, or failure, failure to appreciate their need. Hey, I don't have a problem. I don't need the gospel. I'm, I'm good. Pharisaical kind of an attitude, pride, um, failure to appreciate what's being offered. What's being offered in the gospel. And they've already found something mysterious. They believe they already have secret knowledge of the universe and believe some distortion. Yes? I'd
2: yeah, also like to add the witness of the Christians.
0: The witness of Christians could either be positive or?
2: Very negative.
0: Well, then are they Christian?
2: No, I mean, they're saying they're <laughs> Christians. That's why the commandment says, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If mm-hmm. You say you're a Christian, but you're not. You're leading people to think you're representing what God can do to a person, but you're misrepresenting it altogether.
0: I agree with you completely. Next question for this group, knowing that we have a message that we believe really changes lives and we want to share, how do we present this in a way that we don't get drowned out by the background noise of every other ministry in the world that's presenting something different? And people go, they hear it. That's just another, same old, same old, me too. How do how do we get uh, yes? Just a question. Um, how would we go about bringing back, for example, kids who have been in the Adventist Church and left because of some bad experience in the church? Wow, Just you know, completely turn them off to it. And Wednesday's last lesson: reclaiming former members. <laughs> yes, but we, and we won't get there. So thanks for jumping ahead. That was a question you had. So we can jump ahead. How do we reclaim former members? I actually would like to know if you guys have some ideas. How do we present the message that we don't get drowned out in the background noise? Any ideas on that? If you just let it cogitate in your head, and if you come up with one, let me know. Because there, if you look around the community, there's all kinds of, you know, evangelism going on, presentations of Christianity going on. Uh, are, do we have something that's different? And if so, how do we make it stand apart so people will hear? And then we're going to answer the question now about yes.
3: In our church, we've, we've had recycled efforts at perfection over and over and over again. I remember being disgusted with it back in the early 70s. It's probably what kept me from actually becoming a minister, which is not an excuse, but it nevertheless has something to do with with the way I felt that the gospel, according to the social model and the socialized efforts that were being that were being made, were delivering. Just what we're talking about. This is not, and I repeat, not another effort at making people perfect so that 144,000 of us can get on the get on the train and go to heaven.
0: You know, I think that's a great point. And in, in, in Tuesday's lesson, walk towards the back, because we're going to get that question in the back just in a second. Um, actually, in Monday's lesson, it actually talked about that. We won't have time to go into all these examples, um, but about could the church be intolerant? Could the church... Uh, put forth the idea that you must conform a conformity type of an idea um it could, it could it send a message that to people that you're not loved for who you are you're loved for what you do and how you behave um, could it do that um we we love we do, well, we love people just as much if they don't go to church on Saturday or Sunday maybe they go to church on Friday we love them just as much and we love people just as much if they're gay if they eat meat listen to contemporary music wear jewelry or do we send signals that we will tolerate you in our church if you do these things, but you can't serve in our church? You can't greet. You can't be on platform unless you take the ring off. Do we send that message? Is that the message of Christ? Go ahead in the back. Yes.
5: Uh, Larry from Indiana has a question. Did he mention false security in their current belief system, meaning what I believe is right and complete? I don't need your message. I used to get that response during ingathering season
0: yeah I think that thank you so much for sending for for mentioning that yes I think a false security um, is another reason people don't listen I've already already got it I'm, I'm secure accepted everything yes I
4: think we can be mistreated in the church uh, and then throw the baby out with the back
0: well let me let me follow up on that idea about um, treating people and how we treat them um, would we how do we treat someone who has blind, deaf, has cancer, tuberculosis, HIV, tobacco addiction, drug addiction? How do we treat these people? Would we treat them differently? Yes, we would. Yes, we would, absolutely, because the blind person would give assistance up and down the stairs and down the hallway. The deaf person would give a sign language person to help them uh, see, understand the message. The person with tuberculosis would give them a mask so they wouldn't infect other people. The, the person that are too sick to come with cancer, we'd visit them at home and help prepare, prepare meals. The person with addiction would give them support groups. Um, we would give lots of different treatment to these people. Different treatment, yes. But what would the treatment, what would the treatment all be focused on doing? Loads
6: of love.
0: What would the treatment be focused on doing? Healing. It's all focused on healing and restoring and, and helping them develop. It, it's not, we would not exclude them from our love, would we? we? We would bring them into our love. Would we judge them as unworthy to be involved because of these problems? No. no. How, would this not apply to how we see people in sin? Should we not treat them the same way? How did Christ treat the woman caught in adultery thrown down before him?
2: Go and sin no more.
0: Neither do I condemn, condemn you. you. Then go and lead a better life. Go and sin no more. Um,
2: and what they said about the New Testament uh, disciples once Jesus was resurrected and ascended was behold how they love one another. And that really stands out in a selfish age where everyone is deserves the best and you know, I'm trying to compete and get the better toy and so on and so forth. There's not a lot of "Behold, how they love one another." Yeah,
0: you know, I'm going to suggest to you that this is the key to bringing people back. To, to bring people back into the church who've been lost, who've left, is to bring them back through love, acceptance, and to remove and, and to teach them that God's principles are not imposed to 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 pressure to conform and if you break you're going to get punished but the the god's principles are the design upon which life is built and it's only sensible to be in harmony with them and i'm going to close with prayer and then we're going to have an announcement um uh about our our mission project in south america gracious heavenly father we thank you so much that you have um provided the truth about you your character of love uh the remedy for our condition in Jesus Christ and your spirit that works in our hearts to transform and heal us back into your image. Uh, We pray that uh, the the misunderstanding, the confusion, any idea, construct, habit that is in in the way of your will in our life, that it will be removed and that we will come back into the the design pattern that you have created humanity to to operate upon as, as evidenced in Jesus Christ. And that we can go out now and be effective. Give us wisdom. Give us give us creativity. Give us new ideas that we can somehow present this message about you that will captivate this world who who is hurting and longing um, for a message that really heals and delivers. We pray in your holy name. Amen.